Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in this self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. It's very difficult to be as perfect as we want to be. Every day when I go to bed, I, if I'm not careful, I'll begin thinking about the areas in which I fell short of what I really wanted to be and to do for that particular day. But if I begin and end every day with God's Word, then the focus is on Him and not on me. And I think that allows the Lord to continue to perfect that which concerns us, as the psalmist once said. I think it's important for us to maintain a sense of wonder and amazement about the Bible. I began reading the Bible in childhood and I'm still doing so. And I can say I've never lost a fascination for this book. I think the more we study it, the more we want to study it. And so the point of today's podcast is the joy of being astonished and amazed every day by the message that God has for us in His Word. And we have a very unusual example of that. Uh, and we'll get to it as we study the first missionary tour of St. Paul the Apostle. I've been in a series of studies from the book of Acts, and this is a study that we're calling Unstoppable, because that's what Gamaliel said about the church, that it cannot be stopped. And we're coming to chapter 13, and this is the first trip that Paul the Apostle took as a church-sent missionary. In fact, he and Barnabas and their friend John Mark made this trip together. It probably took about eight months to make this first missionary journey, and the story is told in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And I want to develop a couple of podcasts to this because I've never studied this trip in detail before, and I've spent several weeks just pouring into these two chapters, and there's so much beneath the surface here to learn. Uh, There are two things that will help you as you study this with me, if it's possible. One is an open Bible, and the other is a map. Now, you may not be able to grab those right now. If you're like I am, well, I usually listen to podcasts when I'm walking or when I'm working out or when I'm driving, one of those three times. And so if you're doing that, you may not be able to open the Bible or to look at a map right now, but you can do it later, and I'll try to take you through it anyway. But if you do have those two Uh, resources, it would be very helpful. We believe that this first missionary journey took place, some people say, in year A.D. 46, others say 48. It was somewhere in that range. The Apostle Paul would probably have been in his 30s. And so I just want to begin reading this text with you, the first half of Acts chapter 13, and then we'll go back and look at them in some detail the verses in some detail. So the book of Acts, chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, 
Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Eliamus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord." Now, at this point in the story of the book of Acts, Barnabas was the senior figure. He was the leader of the church in Antioch, or of the churches in Antioch, uh, because there was more than one of them. There was, this was a major Christian community. And when he began to see the growth that was taking place in the congregations, he left town and went up to Paul's home area and recruited him as, a, as his assistant. At this time, Paul was... Uh, called in Jewish circles, Saul of Tarsus. Now, Saul had been converted back in Acts chapter 9, but soon after his conversion, he'd gone back to his home area, and we don't hear anything about him for, say, 10 years or so. We have very little idea of what Paul did from the time he was probably 20 years old until the time that he was 30, this 10-year period, except that he preached the gospel in the local synagogues around his area of Cilicia, which is in what we call today Turkey, or as it was called then, Asia Minor. During these silent years, Paul was apparently meeting with Christ in some way and receiving divine revelations about the gospel because he talks about how Jesus gave him the tenets of his doctrine and the gospel by revelation. And apparently during these years, he was also attending the synagogue and maybe getting into trouble because of his teachings about Jesus, because he later told the Corinthians that five times he'd received the synagogue beating of 39 lashes. And we don't know of any time in the book of Acts when this could have occurred, Uh, what was typically true in those days is that if a person uh, required disciplining uh, by the synagogue because of some infraction, then he would be taken in and partially stripped and uh, beaten 39 times or 13 times with a three-stranded whip, and that was the way that discipline was imparted. And Paul said that this happened to him five times, but we have no record of that happening to him in the book of Acts. So apparently, 
Paul was converted on the Damascus Road. He drops out of sight for a number of years. He is practicing his preaching. He is receiving this unwelcome discipline uh, and beginning to toughen up in terms of persecution. He's receiving revelations from uh, the uh, from the Lord himself. And so after this particular time, it's sort of like God's seminary, then Barnabas comes looking for him and says, I need for you to come back to Antioch and work with me. The church there is growing and I need an assistant. And so this is where we are at the beginning of chapter 13. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and it lists several of them, beginning with Barnabas, Simon called Niger or Black. So we assume this was an African man, a native of Africa, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So this was a man who had uh, political connections and Saul of Tarsus. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, this is a very important moment in Christian history. This is the beginning of church-sponsored church planting operations. Until then, the gospel had spread because Christians who had been scattered because of persecution just preached the gospel wherever they went. But now for the first time, we have a local church making a strategic decision to send missionaries out in order to establish churches in a way that is financed and backed by that local church. So this is the era now of missionaries. The word missionary means one who is sent. And this team was made up of Barnabas and Saul of Tarsus and the young man named John Mark, who would later write the Gospel of Mark, went along to be their assistant. Well, where did they go? They left Antioch and their first day's travel, it would have taken almost the whole day, took them down to the harbor on the Mediterranean coast, which was the port of Seleucia. And this is where the Roman fleet for the region was stationed. There were undoubtedly cargo ships coming and going. And so Paul and Barnabas and Mark bought tickets to, uh, on a ship going to the island of Cyprus, which was only about 60 miles offshore. Now, this is where Barnabas had grown up. We know from earlier in the book of Acts that Barnabas was a Cypriot. That is, that he was a native of Cyprus who had moved to Jerusalem, that he had a good deal of wealth. And we also know from Josephus that there was a very large Jewish community, a large Jewish population on the island of Cyprus. And this included many different synagogues and perhaps the extended family of Barnabas lived here. He must have had connections there. And I wonder if Barnabas and Saul and John Mark stayed with some of these and were, you know, fed by them and, uh, and received hospitality from them. But Luke doesn't tell us anything about some of these logistical arrangements that sometimes I can get curious about. But as I researched for this study, I looked up the website for the Cyprus Ministry of Tourism, and it really made me want to visit the island of Cyprus. My father was there once. I remember him talking about going into Nicosia, Cyprus, and I believe that's where he boarded a boat for a particular tour that he was taking, but I've never been there. The Ministry of Tourism brags that Cyprus is, quote, Europe's sunniest island, and that its beauty folds across glittering coasts, rolling mountains, fragrant forests, and rugged headlands, it says. 
We know that Cyprus is also famous as a migration stop for birds because it's right in the uh, sort of the center between Europe and Asia and Africa. The temperature is very mild year-round, and um, it's just an excellent climate and a beautiful place. And in those days, Cyprus had two main cities, one on one side of the island, the east, that would be Salamis, and then Paphos was on the west. And so the ship docked in Salamis, and that's where we pick up the story here in verse 5. It says, When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper, John Mark. Now, Luke doesn't tell us anything more about the ministry that occurred there. Uh, I've read that to this day there are excellent Roman ruins of a great city there that had a gymnasium and a theater seating 1,500 and an agora or a marketplace lined with columns and a stadium and public baths and there was a temple there to Zeus. So this would have been a significant city uh, and Paul and Barnabas preached there, but we have no record of anything that happened. And so it says, as we continue on, they traveled through the whole island and if you have your map, they took the southern route along the coast until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul or the governor, who is a man named Sergius Paulus. So now we're introduced to two people. These are the first two people mentioned in the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul by name. So the first was a soothsayer or a, mag a magician named Bar-Jesus or Elymas. The word Bar in the Greek means son of, or rather in the Hebrew, uh, Bar is son of, and Jesus would have been the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. And so this soothsayer was the son of a Joshua, a man named Joshua. But he was also known as Elymas, which uh, seems to have been a translation of a word that meant something like magi or wise man or sorcerer. We run into several of these sorcerers or these soothsayers in the book of Acts. Um, and here, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas and John Mark run into this Elymas. Now, the second man in the story is Sergius Paulus. And during the last 150 years, archaeologists have found multiple ancient inscriptions about a man by this name who was a Roman official during the very period that we're reading about in Acts. For example, I've been told again that if you go to the Cyprus Museum, you can view an ancient Greek inscription that was discovered on the island of Cyprus. It dates to just a few years after Paul's visit there, probably about seven or eight years, and it talks about an event that occurred when Sergius Paulus was proconsul or governor of Crete. So we have archaeological confirmation of this man who is mentioned here in the book of Acts chapter 13. There's another inscription in Rome and some others that have been found here and there, uh, and we're also told that this was an intelligent man. Luke says the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. We do have information from antiquity indicating that this man, Sergius Paulus, is very likely the author of a book on natural history that was well known in its day and quoted by others, but which is not now extant. So this is just the kind of man that the Apostle Paul would engage. A powerful man, political and intelligent, fascinated about life and eager 
for this new message from the Lord. But it says, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the governor from the faith. I wish we had the conversation recorded for us, but I can almost reconstruct it as Elymas stands there listening to Paul and Barnabas and he sees the interest that his client has, his uh, boss, um, Sergius Paulus. He says, you know, you better think about this. You shouldn't listen to this. This is, uh, this is nonsense. This isn't necessarily what you should be doing. And then it says, then Saul, who was also called Paul. And here for the first time in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul is called by the name which we know very, very well. From this point on, he is no longer Saul of Tarsus, but he is Paul. Now, it's very interesting here. Why would Luke, at this particular place, change the name of his chief protagonist in the book from Saul of Tarsus to Paul? And there's a couple of theories about it. This comes during the time of conversation and conversion of a man named Sergius Paulus, whose family home we know from archaeology was in Pisidian Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas later ended up during this first missionary tour. And this, as far as we can tell by name, is the Apostle Paul's first convert. Now, I'm sure that he had brought many people to Christ. I mean, for 10 years, he'd been ministering, and it had been about 14 years since his conversion. Uh, so I feel like that he had led many people to Christ, but this is the first recorded conversion of the Apostle Paul, and it was a man named Sergius Paulus. And so some people think that uh, Paul took his name from his first convert. But the Bible scholar that I'm using primarily for this, uh, for my study for this series, Ben Witherington III, dismisses that theory. And I think many other Bible scholars do too. What they would suggest is that Saul of Tarsus was always known as Paul, that he had both of those names because he was both a Jew and a Roman citizen. Saul would have been his Hebrew name because Saul was the name of Israel's first king who was from the tribe of Benjamin as Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus was. And so that was a very common Hebrew name, especially for people who were a part of the tribe of Benjamin. But he would also have had a Roman name or a Greek name, which was Paulus. And up to this point in the book of Acts, Paul had been primarily ministering to Hebrews or to Jews in the synagogue, where he was typically known as Saul. But now at this point in the story, Saul of Tarsus is increasingly going to evangelize the Roman world. And so at this point in the narrative, Luke begins using his Greek or Roman name of Paulus or Paul. So getting back to the text, it says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil. Now remember what this man's name was, Bar-Jesus, or a son of Joshua. But Paul says, you are really a son of Satan and the enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. So notice here there is a parallel. Luke says that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Paul said that this sorcerer was full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. 
And Paul went on to say, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time and not able to see the light. And immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now, interestingly, this is the very same thing that happened to Saul of Tarsus back at his conversion in the book of Acts chapter 9. He was blinded and he had to seek somebody who would lead him by the hand, it says in the text. This is a punitive miracle. And it's a, a punitive miracle that is tinged with mercy because it appears that uh, this man's um, blindness wasn't permanent. For a time you will be blind, he says, just as Paul had been blind for a time. And we can only hope that Elymas came to know the Lord Jesus as Savior as Paul did. But we don't know um, whether he did or not. But we are told that Sergius Paulus believed. It says, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about our Lord. And that's where I want to leave it in this episode. Here was the first convert of the first missionary tour in Christian history. The first time that a local church had ever sent missionaries to evangelize an area. And this is the first recorded convert, Sergius Paulus. And he believed because he was amazed at the teaching about our Lord. So this to me is a very wonderful stopping place. To be amazed that the teaching of our Lord is something that should characterize our lives from day to day. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we stay in God's word day by day, we should never get to a point where we are not amazed by the teaching of the Lord. I've been reading a book by my friend Jack Graham called Reignite. And he talks about a time a number of years ago when after cancer surgery had fallen into a very deep depression and exhaustion. It was very stubborn. It lasted for a long time. And in this book, he tells about the practical ways that the Lord brought him out of that. And the very first thing is the Word of God. He said, even during those dark days, I longed to read my Bible. He said he'd get out of bed after a sleepless night and pour himself a cup of coffee and reach for the Bible. Sometimes he said I'd put on worship music softly in the background and sometimes I'd opt for silence. But it was there during those unhurried times, just God's word in me, that I'd be strengthened for the day ahead. Well, that to me is a daily occurrence. When I woke up this morning, I'd had a very rough night. I didn't sleep very well. Uh, we had a storm here and I'm changing medications. And I woke up this morning and I felt really rugged. Uh, I tried my best to get awake. But when I sat down and opened the Word of God, I began to feel some light and warmth and hope. And it began to set my mind for the day. And when I go to bed, I do the same. Always be amazed by the Word of God. Don't lose the wonder. Every time you learn something in the Bible, it's only a prelude to learning something else. Every time you read a passage, if you read it with 
heart openness and uh, with an eager mind, you'll find something in that passage you didn't find the time before. As I've studied Acts chapter 13, I'm just amazed at some of these details I've been able to visualize to some extent. This first trip as Paul and um, Barnabas and um, John Mark left that teeming Roman city of Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, took a day's journey down to the coast, found themselves a ship and bought a ticket and went over to Cyprus. And maybe they found some of Barnabas's extended family and they spent a few nights and they preached in the synagogues. And then it took them out about a week, we think, to make their way by foot along the southern coast of this gorgeous island. And they came to Pamphus, and there they met this sorcerer, and apparently through him came to the governor of the island, and the man was converted. And just being able to visualize all of that in my mind and understand the sequence and feel the rhythm for it, there is something about that that makes me want to replicate what they're doing. And certainly I want to be like this first convert, Sergius Paulus, always amazed at the teaching of our Lord. Well, we'll pick it up here next time because where they go after this is very interesting and very important to the story of the early days of the church. Thank you for listening and for joining with me in my study of the book of Acts. This is Robert J. Morgan. Please check out my website, robertjmorgan.com. All of my resources are there. There are videotape courses, there are books and pamphlets and other things. And you can also sign up for my newsletter there. And I hope that this is a blessing to you. May the Lord bless you until we meet again. Thank you.